Yo, yo, what is going on, my man? It's Athea Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. I'm so glad you're here today. I'm about to uh, sit down with Jim Ramos of Men in the Arena. He has been on the show before, and we brought him back. I brought him back for a very particular reason. Uh, it's a little bit selfish, but I have become a father recently, and Jim has some really good content for dads out there. And so I brought him in, and I said, Jim, let's do it, man. Let's do a full episode about fatherhood. And I didn't know that he actually had a four-phase framework, the four phases of fatherhood, that is really brilliant. And so I was pleasantly pleasantly surprised to find that out. And then we decided to just do a deep dive on it. So that's literally what this whole episode is about today. It's about fatherhood. And if you're not a father, I mean, I did this interview before Judah was born. So you certainly will benefit from it. But those of you that are fathers and you're further ahead than me, even if your kids are already moved out and independent, we cover all four phases. And the four phases you know, cover you from beginning of fatherhood to the absolute end. So you're going to get a lot of value from this. Um, Jim is amazing. He tells it straight. He's a straight shooter. And you know what? He actually opened up. He was really vulnerable on, on the podcast. And I've followed Jim enough to know that he doesn't always do that unless he trusts the audience and, and feels safe enough to do so. So this is a really special interview. Uh, without further ado, here's Jim Ramos. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. All right. Well, I'm here with my good friend, Jim Ramos. And uh, dude, we had a great podcast probably about a year and a half ago, right around the time my book came out. Yep. And I feel like I'm talking to a mini celebrity here, man, the way you're blowing up on social media since we last spoke. Congratulations on your success. Hey, thank you. And look who's talking. I went, <laughs> I went and looked at you and I'm like, wow, he's got like 25,000 followers more than last time I saw him. I'm like, what's going on? So it's cool to watch God bless your ministry and there's a massive massive need for it so it's just fun to kind of we're we're kind of paralleling each other yeah oh it's fun i'm I'm learning a lot from you online so it's it's been cool to see i wanted to ask you just you just had a video go viral about who should be on your log screen tell us a little bit about that one i I thought it was so interesting well you know it's really interesting as i meet with guys talk to guys i noticed something a little bit alarming that a lot of these dudes that are really struggling in their marriages you know, because their phone's always in front of them. And I'd look down at their phone and a picture of their kids. It's a picture of a a big fish they caught or their buddies on the golf course. And I noticed that these guys that were struggling didn't have their wife as their lock screen or home screen picture. And Mm. a couple guys, I asked them, hey, show me a picture of your wife. And they're scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. They have a hard time finding a picture of their wife. I just had to (laughs) confront a guy on a hunting trip about three months ago about the same thing. I'm like, bro, You've got tons of pictures of dead things, but your living wife at home you know, is not on one of them. And so, you know, and so what I've realized is when your wife looks at your phone, which she will just just the way it works, mm-hmm. what does she see on there? And what she sees will tell her a lot about the state of uh, the marriage and a lot about how you feel about her. And yeah. here's the deal. It's, a, it's, a, it's really basically it is low hanging fruit. For guys to just take one more step deeper into their marriage. I mean, I'm, I'm handing these guys low hanging fruit and you cannot <laughs> believe, you know, we have like 
it's you know it's like it's total almost nine billion views right now but you can't believe the pushback oh yeah guys i'm like why is there pushback here and then we have a lot of women posting pictures of their husbands who are deceased Mm. and the phones were they had her on the lock screen and these guys are now deceased and they're using this as a monument to their marriage and a legacy to their it's it's very very heavy and deep and so man guys Make your wife your lock screen. Make her your home yeah. screen, your phone. I'm telling you, you're going to thank me down the road for it. And it's a, it's low-hanging fruit. Yeah, well, and it, it doesn't just build the marriage. I feel like even for affair prevention and that kind of stuff, that's actually pretty important too. You know, you're out with a colleague, and if she doesn't see the wife on the phone screen, like there's just some subliminal messaging that happens there. And I know guys probably Absolutely. think that sounds – Right, that probably sounds a bit ridiculous or a bit overkill, but I I started lifting weights about two years ago. I had like a nice titanium ring, and the weight, the barbell, scratching it up. So I start, I took it off, and then I had a couple interactions with girls at the gym where I just thought that was weird. They were just, it was just too friendly, you know, and I didn't think I was really doing anything. And it's like, well, yeah, duh, dummy, you're not wearing your wedding band. So I went out and got a silicone thing from Amazon for like, you know, 10 bucks or whatever it was. And yeah, yeah, exactly. You got one too. There it is. So, you know, and problem, problem solved. But those little things, like those little signals you send out are actually pretty important. Yeah. It, it, it acts as a guardrail against others. And also when you open that home screen, there's a lot of evil that can happen behind that home screen. Right. Maybe your wife will act as a mnemonic device uh, to not you know, hurt the one you love. So there's a yeah. lot of benefit. And then your kids see it. Yes. I mean, you know, cause you know, I tell men that your wife is more important than your kids. And it's biblically, it's a, it's just a, it's biblically true. And yeah. so when the kids see mom on there, you know, maybe it's a family picture. That's fine too. But maybe they see mom, they go, wow, mom is more important. Mm-hmm. He takes priority in the family unit. Yeah, that's so good, man. That's so good. That actually really ties into like something that uh, I feel like God's been speaking to me about in this season, trying to get ready for fatherhood. And obviously you can only do so much to get ready. Um, but the one thing that I, the Holy Spirit's just been telling me again and again is Sathya, just focus on your marriage. That's literally the best gift you can give your kids is a healthy marriage. And that will continue to be the plumb line, no matter how many kids are in the mix. And, um, and so it's been really good. And I know you and I today are going to talk about a framework. You have the four phases of fatherhood. So, um, I'm excited. You know, I'm, I'm brand new. I'm literally going to be taking notes for myself and hopefully, um, some of them will be a little bit helpful for the other guys as well. But uh, but where, how do you want to kick this thing off, man? Where where should we start? Do you, do you want to preface this a little bit? Well, one of the – yeah, sure. One of the, You know, at Iron Sharpens Iron Men's Conferences, uh, they've been doing those for about 20 years now. They've had almost uh, a, a million men go through their conferences. These are real live humans on live conferences, not, uh, you know, what we do, a lot of virtual stuff. These are men in the building. Mm. And uh, the number one topic – that men request who attend these conferences is information on fathering and fatherhood. Uh, mm. The problem, you know, and the reason behind that one is a lot of guys nowadays are, are raised by stepdads or single moms. And so they don't even know how to do it. You know, they're Christians now they want to do it right. They don't know how, you know, and the other thing is maybe they had a bad father figure. Maybe, you know, who knows the dynamics there, but for me, I had, I have a good dad. I mean, he was a, he's a great dad. But he wasn't a Christian dad. So for me, I'm going, what does it look like to be a Christian dad? So I think there's some, a lot of questions that men have. And I'm sitting on uh, 57 years of life and all my kids are in their 20s now. And so Mm -hmm. I'm looking back at what I did. I did some things really, really well. 
I did some things poorly <laughs> too. <laughs> and so I'm learning from both of those things and then looking forward, kind of launching forward beyond my uh, current scope of uh, reference. You know, I'm looking at people who've done it right in their, in their seventies, eighties and, and what, what are they reaping? And so I've kind of put together this thing called four phase of fatherhood. It's not in a book. It's just, a, I've done a couple podcasts at the men arena podcast and written some blogs, but, more and more men, when they hear this, are saying, hey, this has really impacted me. So yeah. there's something to this that I think could become a book someday. But the main thing is that dads have questions. And if they realized what the next phase was from the wisdom and experience of a guy who's older than them, and my, I'm probably older than a lot of your audience, I can help these guys uh, you know, along that journey of fatherhood. Yeah, yeah, I I love it, and I I, th I think this is going to be supremely helpful. Obviously, for a, a new father myself, but uh, even for the guys who are further along the way, I mm -hmm. wanted to ask maybe a couple of questions to set this thing up. So, yeah. first thing, you you made an interesting point. So, you grew up with a good father, but not a Christian father. Yeah, and one of the things that I'm sure you're observing in the young men of today is. Um, you know, we've, we've kind of like really drawn the connection between how our past shapes our present. And mm -hmm. you'll hear a lot of people talk about their trauma and the things they went through. And my dad wasn't this, or my mom did that, or, you know, that kind of thing. And there's, there's value for it, but I do worry that we've actually really swung the pendulum too far. And we blame all of our shortcomings, all of our insecurities on basically someone else, you know, our parents or our childhood or whatever. And we're becoming victims a little bit in the process. What, what can you, what can you say to somebody who, who is maybe like, okay, I want to be a great father. For whatever reason, they don't have the role model or the example to lean on. How do you bridge that gap becoming a father yeah. yourself? I'll say this. And I know that in, in a sex addiction uh, stuff, because I have sex addiction guys on the podcast pretty regularly, you know, and I just had the pure desire executive uh, guy. Anyway, oh, that's, Nick. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's who I had on there. But a lot of these guys yeah. are going back to your father wound. And it used to be a father wound in the 90s and the 2000s. Now it's father trauma. You know, everybody <laughs> wants to blame somebody. And now it's post-traumatic stress disorder because the dad told you that you were a, you know, a wimp when you were 12. <laughs> so I think that we've way swung the pendulum the wrong way. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm gonna tell you a story about a guy who I'm a distant. Uh, he's a distant relative of mine. He's a guy named Abraham Lincoln. He was the 16th president of the United States of America. When he was building his cabinet, a man's name kept coming up over and over again, and Lincoln kept rejecting him. Now, you need to realize Abraham Lincoln is historically known as the ugliest man to ever hold high. I know you're from Canada, but in America, he's known as the guy, ugliest president the United States has ever produced. <laughs> so what a great, you know, he is, you know, so here's this guy, he's, he's, He's famously known or notoriously known as the ugliest president to ever hold a high political <laughs> office in the United States. And he keeps rejecting this one cabinet guy. And and his chief of staff said, President Lincoln, this is the most qualified guy that you can have. You keep rejecting him. Why? And Lincoln said, the ugliest president to ever hold office said, I don't like his face. <laughs> <laughs> and the, his cabinet, his chief of staff said, President Lincoln, you can't. He can't help the face that he was born with. And Lincoln said something very profound. He said, after 40 years old, every man is responsible for his face. And so what I would say to guys is at some mm. point, you've got to stop blaming everybody else because at 40 years old, 35 years old, you've got a wife, you've got kids. And listen, your, your daddy is not raising them. You are. And yeah. so you've got to work through your stuff. No parent is perfect. 
We've all done some things we regret as parents. But at some point, you have got to be the patriarch of your household, of the mantle that God has placed over you. So that's what I would tell guys, man. I mean, get help. You know, if you've got something that's, you know, you know, yeah, my my dad's a good dad, but our I, my parents, my 13th birthday gave me the it's not your fault we're getting a divorce speech because my dad was uh, fooling around with other women, you know. And so wow. I say he was a good dad, but the, when I was a younger guy, it was it was pretty brutal going through a divorce and seeing your parents dating other people and remarrying. And now you have a whole two different families, you know, made for more presents at Christmas. But, you know, other than that, it was rough. <laughs> and so, but yeah. I had to work through that. And hey, man, you know, I need to forgive my dad. I need to work forward and build a relationship. And then, of course, my dad, the same way. We've got a great relationship. We spoke, talk two or three times a week now. So, yeah. so and then ironically, he's given his life to the Lord. He's attending church regularly. So, you, oh, you know, nice. you're playing long ball. So what I'm saying is, I think the pendulum does need to swing back to accept responsibility for your actions. Yeah, 100%. What did you do to find uh like an or to create a concept of what it means to be a Christian father when you didn't have that example? Were you reading books, spiritual mentors or you know people around you like how did you figure that out? Yeah, I, I like you I was in youth ministry at the time, so I wasn't a ah. men's ministry guy and uh I immersed myself in the word of God. I copied the heck out of the guys around me that I thought were good dads. <laughs> yeah. You know, I look, who are the good dads? Oh, that's what they do. That's what they do. That's what they do. And then mm. I read, I read books on the subject. So I just immersed myself in that culture of good fathering and it's yes. all over the place. There are great fathers and they're not necessarily Christian fathers. I, I, yeah. I know some phenomenal dads that aren't Christians. I know some horrible dads that are. So I just yeah. looked at, I didn't, I wasn't discriminating on faith. I just looked around and said, who are the great dads? You know, and then where did my dad fail me? And where did my dad do a great job? My dad is a phenomenal parent when it comes to engaging his kids. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I copied that. So I think for us, you know, the art of originality, Cynthia, is not revealing your sources, right? So I just, you know, just find as many guys to help as possible. And, and we live in a world where they're out there yeah. in spades. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, if you look for them, you you really will find them. Okay, what, one more question, then we'll dive into the four phases here. What what do you say to fathers? So I, I think this is happening in our generation. I don't know if you've observed this. And I've asked a couple of different people on this podcast ab- about this. I think in in our I'm I'm carrying on the thing we talked about earlier. So you, you know, you acknowledge, okay, you know, my dad did this to me, it hurt, it cut me deep, this is how it impacted me. And I think what exists in my generation and certainly in some of my my friend circles is this fear as a parent. Because we become uh, very sensitive to how, you know, shortcomings of our parents affected us. Then these people are becoming parents and they're really afraid to make a mistake to whatever because they don't want to cause trauma to their own kids. And uh, I'm curious what you would say about that because it sounds like you really actually changed your lineage. Like you became a Christian, didn't have Christianity, and then now your dad has come around. That's an incredible story in of itself. How did you do that? And um, how did you not, you know, not repeat the sins of your father, so to speak, and really chart, chart something new? Well, the sins of my father concept, I just vowed to be faithful to Shanna forever. I mean, yeah, I, I think that keeping your pants on around other women, I think that's pretty easy to do. <laughs> now, in front of the computer screen is a little bit different. But to yeah. me, I, I just vowed I would never do that. Um 
I'm trying to, I just lost my train of thought. I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. You can um, edit this well, out. Tell me the question again. Just about uh, the sins of your father, how you change trajectories, oh. and how do you not get paranoid about creating that trauma? Yeah, in kids? yeah. You know, I uh, at a church I was at when I was working at a church in the '90s. My children were little, two, four, six. I mean, they were little, little, little kids. And there was a, a guy in our church. He was a good father. He was an Ecuadorian American. Uh, he was a counselor. And he had a parenting class, and he said something in the class that was deeply profound to me, and it, it was so freeing to me. He said, listen, you're going to make mistakes as a parent. He said, you don't have to be the perfect parent, and you never will be the perfect parent. You just have to be good enough. Hmm. And so that that just released me to parent, because in in sports, in life, in anything you're doing, if you focus on a negative component, if you focus on not becoming that, that's what you become. Yeah. <laughs> so you are, you become what you focus your energy on. And so for, uh, the, the guys of your generation who are the guys living in the stress bubble of life, we can't focus on being a bad parent because that's exactly what we'll become. We'll become some, a scared, uh, gutless, uh, parent who's not, a, he's not willing to let his kids. I just had a guy tell me the other day, well, I'm not letting me, my kid play football. That's a dangerous sport. I go, let me tell you something, bro. Life is a dangerous sport. Mm. None of us are getting out of this alive. Yeah. So when we overprotect because of fear, if fear is ever a motivator, that is negative. So we need to have mm. faith be a motivator. Yeah. Like I want my kids to be Jesus followers. I want my kids to be uh, courageous. I want my daughters to be warrior queens. I want my sons to be warriors. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Train them up to be that and focus on that. Now, we can't be perfect in that, but we can be good enough. And so we just never, as parents, focus on uh, the what ifs. That is a recipe for disaster. We have to focus on, hey, that little little baby that your wife is having, is it a boy or a girl? A boy. Oh, little boy, (laughs) little Sathya. Woo! I mean, you know, when this little boy comes, you're going to look at him and go, do I want to just protect this guy from every little thing or do I want to change him into, turn him into a warrior like I am? And the thing about the little kids, when I held my first son for the first time, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to break him. Man, you can't <laughs> break those little guys. They're tough. Yeah. Yeah. You can't believe how tough those kids are. So, uh, yeah, so so mold them into what you believe God wants them to become mm. and, and don't worry about the fear part. God yeah. will take care of that. Yeah, that's good, man. That's good. Okay, let's jump into the four phases of fatherhood. What is phase one? Yeah. So, so this, again, this is going from personal experience, uh, life experience and what I've seen. And so I realize that in when, so you're going to enter phase one very, very shortly. Yes. So phase one, you're going to hold this little boy in your hands and everything changed when I had us, my first son, my, everything that I remembered from being single, from being, uh, fought, no, not having children, everything changed in that moment. And I was a dad and I was a dad forever. And hmm. so, I went into this phase of just total exhaustion because now after the first one comes the second, after the second comes the third and down, so, so on and so forth. And right. what happens is you, well, you enter the stress bubble. Okay. And so this is a phase uh, I call father fidelis. Fidelis okay. is Latin for faithful. And so in this phase, your kids are between uh, birth and about 10, 11 years old. And your job is to show up. Mm. show up until it's boring that you show up so much tell them you love them until it's boring you your your 
identity is wrapped up in being the most boring parent on the planet because you're just always around. You know, in John chapter 4, we see a picture of Jesus going through. He's going from uh, Judea to Galilee. He goes through Samaria. He stops at this well in Seshar. He interacts with this woman at the well. But it's really interesting in verses, uh, I think it's, uh, well, the first eight verses of John chapter 4, it says Jesus, you know, sat down at the well. His disciples went into town to get food. The woman, and he was sat down because he's weary from his journey. The woman came to him and he asked her for a drink. Those sound like very simple statements, but if you break them down, you realize that Jesus had just got done walking 20 miles in Birkenstocks or flip-flops. <laughs> you know, he was tired, the Bible says, wearied. He was hungry because he sent the disciples to get food, and he was thirsty because he asked for a drink. So think about this. He was tired, hungry, and thirsty, but he showed up to minister to this woman. And that's what this Father Fidelis phase is. It is you just show up, man. You show up for your family between 5 and 8 o'clock at night when you get home from work and you're tired. You show up for your kids' little soccer games or or whatever they're playing when they're little kids. You show up at their school events. You know, you just, you know, you, I used to play football after school with my little children at elementary school. I'd ride them to school on their bikes. I mean, you just show up for them. You're just there. You're a, a figure. You're a faithful, uh, a faithful father in their lives that is just constantly there and that that phase from about birth to about 10 years old that phase is deeply deeply impactful in the lives of your children yeah well and there's good research to back that like those first i think seven years in particular they say like you do not have to have a much figured out you just have to be around like just be there so that, that's really interesting. Let, let me ask you this, because you and I uh, come from like more traditional ministry backgrounds, you know, working yeah. in churches. The, the church that I worked for was fairly international. They were quite prominent in the 90s and the early 2000s. And their model uh, was a lot of itinerance. So they, they would raise up and train up a lot of leaders and preachers and speakers who kind of got the message, got the DNA, and then they would spread that to all around the world. And um, that's a very glamorous kind of uh, view of ministry. You know, we, we think of the people that we see traveling and wow, it's so amazing and, and all this stuff. And then, you know, um, you see maybe 10, 15 years later, they end up spending most of their time getting their kids out of rehab centers, uh, walking their kids through divorces. Like, um, a lot of dysfunction happens later. And again, like it, it's so easy to be at a distance and just throw stones and, and cast your judgment. And I'm not trying to do that. But I think there is something to be said about being around. And sometimes I think the things that we chase and men, especially we are prone to this, you know, being very career driven and, you know, you get more promotions and opportunities to travel and whatever. And I know for my wife and I, like we just decided we were going to build this ministry online. We say no to great opportunities to travel and stuff like that because, um, we're trying to build something that, that gives us the opportunity to just be around. And for me in particular right now, just to be present. Um, I don't know. Have you? Is that in any way part of your philosophy and how you built things as well? You are such a good interviewer, man. I'm serious. <laughs> I, I love how you ask questions. So, uh, so you are taking a chance here asking me. You have no idea what I'm going to answer. So, <laughs> you took this. this is a gutsy question, but I wholeheartedly, emphatically, uh, exclamation mark, agree with you. In Job chapter 29, uh, early on in Job 29, he's reflecting back to when his kids were alive. And he said, hey, I had deep roots in my community and my kids were close. And mm. so the pro- and so when we went into ministry, we spent the first 14 years in youth ministry in the same town. 
And then we moved to Oregon and we spent the last 10 years in this, the same town. And we launched our ministry and we stayed in that same town and mm. we sunk deep roots. I have very, very deep roots in both those communities. That's 35 years of ministry in two communities. And so wow. I believe, and I just had this conversation with a man yesterday. Uh, you know, I believe that uh, the man of God sinks deep roots. And I think there is something systematically broken in ministries where they call people to pick up their roots and leave every three years, because what you're doing in that church is you're teaching your men to not sink. Well, I just watched a Netflix video called The Prime. It's on Deion Sanders, who's a neat Christian guy. God's really using him, but he went to Jackson State and he just, he built this program, built this program, built this program. He's teaching these kids all these deep values and deep things. And after two years, he resigns before the season's over for a bigger job. And I thought, man, that is sending a wrong message. Yeah. That sends a wrong message. And so yeah. and I love what he's doing and I bless it. I just, but that's our world, right? Go to the next thing that blesses you. And I think you need to set, settle in, in your area. You know, our children are within an hour from us right now and they're in their twenties and, and we would never even think of leaving this area unless one of our kids moved away, then we might move to be closer to them. But we, I, I'm firmly, I, I believe, in fact, I've got, uh, I've got a, a book of, um, men's ministry meetings. And one of them is the nine traits of uh, manhood from Job 29. And one of those traits is sinking deep roots. And so mm, I, wow. in, in fact, Sophia, I applaud your generation. So my generation is always bad mouthing, you know, the millennials. I'm like, <laughs> you guys, they're learning from us. And one of the things the millennial generation has learned is we're going to sink deep roots. We're going to place family over career. We're going to take our vacation time. We're going to spend it with people we love. And I'm like, oh man, I wish my generation you know, did that better. So your generation has really taken what you've learned from the the faults of our generation and you've really made them better. Now there's some things that aren't better, but those yeah. things I really admire. And so I do believe that we got to stop this transient stuff and we have to sink deep roots so that we can um, raise children that, that part of this father Fidelis phase is stability, security, hmm. You know, in the Bible, it says that the, the man of God manages his household well. That Greek word is proistomai, and it literally is a word picture of three things. It's a picture of a man who protects those around him, so he's a wall. It's a, it's a picture of a man who presides over, which is the roof, and it's a picture of a man who provides within, and those are the rooms. So he's building this structure that is wow. immovable, and that's what it means to manage. And so this whole moving Jesus never moved more than a hundred miles, you know, and so we need to sink deep roots, go where God has called us, and, and stay there. I, I firmly wow. believe what you're saying, man. Firmly, yeah. <laughs> Aren't you cool. glad okay. you asked? So you're like, dang, I got a good one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> legit. I know. I didn't know what you were going to say, so that's perfect. That's great. So, phase one, Father Fidelis. Mm -hmm. uh, you said till about ten or eleven years old, yes. and then I'm guessing that next shift happens when the kid hits puberty. Yeah, because what happens in puberty, so they realize when your kids are in your home, they, they obey you because I said so. I mean, they don't, right. especially when they're little children, right? They're physically smaller. You know, we can discipline them, you know, just because we're bigger than them. You know, we have, we have power, physical power over them. You know, and moms are a little five foot, you're like your little tiny little wife. What is she, five, four or something? You know, they're little, <laughs> they're still bigger than their kids. So there's like this, Hey, I'm your mom. I'm, I'm your dad. Well, when they yeah. start hitting puberty, a couple things start to happen. Uh, their bodies change, so they now are developing. So now they become uh, taller than mom pretty fast. Uh, they are looking to establish their own identity. 
But what they're also doing is they're looking at the world around them and they're saying, hmm, is is this the truth? Are, are these things I've been taught by my parents true? And they determine whether or not they tr- they're true by how you live your life. They watch you. So phase two, I'm going to say between 12, this is 12 to 22 years old. This is right in that uh, puberty, young adult. I call this father figure. So we go from father fidelis Hmm. to father figure. And by figure, I mean role model. I'm using a lot of F words, so it's easy to remember. (laughs) But are you a father figure that they can model their lives after? So this is where we as parents really need to lock in how we are uh, loving our wives how we are living for Christ. You know, there's a real movement right now that I totally disagree with. It's a movement out of the church. And it's a movement that's happening with my generation all the way down through your generation. And I think that that gives our children a wrong picture of what the Bible teaches regarding fellowship and regarding Mm -hmm. Christian community. Because a lot of these guys I interact with aren't involved in any kind of community. I'm like, Let's take the church word off because I know you don't like the word church. You know, not you, but guys don't like it. Let's yeah. remove the word church. Let's talk about Christian community. Let's community. Let's talk about fellowship. Let's talk about Jesus' last words in John 13, where he said, This is how they, the world, will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Let's talk about Hebrews chapter 10, where it says, Let us not forsake the giving, the gathering together somewhere in the habit of doing. And so there are, mm-hmm. there's some really critical passages there that, point us to Christian community. And so all of these things, our children are watching. They're watching. And so we need to model, you know, I failed and I I talk about this a lot because it's the biggest failure of my life. I failed to frame my wife positively with my children, with my boys. Hmm. I often framed her as, well, it's me and you boys against mom. She's crazy. You know, she cares about cleaning up the house way too much. You know, I, I tend to frame her negatively and so I've had to go back and repent before my wife. We had a whole podcast on it. I had I had to wow. go back and repent to my children and really work hard on framing Shanna the way she deserves to be framed. And yeah. um, and I failed my kids there. And so one of my sons and with his wife, man, he frames her almost to a fault positively, like almost to a fault. My yeah. other son frames his wife, and I see him doing some of the things I did. Because he was just doing what dad did, right? And so yeah. I'm like, don't do that. I failed you there. Yeah. And so, wow. so what I'm saying is father figure phase, our children are going to emulate us mm. uh, positively or negatively. So we have to really be careful to walk the walking. You know, I was reading in Ecclesiastes 5, 7 in the New Living Translation the other day. And in that Solomon says, simply talk is cheap. That's it. Talk <laughs> yeah. is cheap. So yeah. we as dads need to uh, step up to the plate and and really you can you can in the father fidelis phase you can be a eh, role model because showing up is what matters. Right. Showing up is what matters. But once your kids begin to mature mentally and they start seeing they start to see the world that they're living in and they see how you really are. And that really, I think a lot of these wounds that guys carry, the trauma or post-traumatic stress disorder, whatever they're, it comes from that, this phase. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's interesting. We were getting into a conversation about this. Um, I think it was one of our expert calls. We had a guy named Matt Baudreau, who's, um, 
who's big on like kind of uh, reforming the education system and um, on, you know, men really like taking charge again in, in this area. Mm-hmm. And he, he said something, this is my language. This has been my, the way I remember it. Um, but he said for daughters, um, you as a father, you are the template that they'll marry. Uh, and for sons, you're the template that they'll copy. And it sounds to oh. me like, like you're hitting that phase right, right here, right? Like yep. this is where, they're looking to you to figure out what does it mean to be a man and they're going to copy you and um, you better have your act together. It sounds like, <laughs> well, yeah, they're going to copy you or they're going to go the opposite. They're right. Gonna say, this is so unhealthy. You know, my dad, you know, like for you, for example, you may be saying, I have no idea. I'm just hypothetical here. My dad was a workaholic. He went from church to church every three years. Uh, I am one not going to work. I'm going to take a Sabbath off. I'm off. I'm going to take another day off to get the house in order. And I am going to keep my roots deep and sink them in my community. I'm not moving. So you might have mm-hmm. t- taken what you've learned from your dad, who was a godly man who loved the Jesus, loved Jesus, loved his wife, loved you. But you may take one or two things from that, his life that, that you determined were negative and you change them. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So we, we're going to, we're going to either imitate our dads or we're going to go the opposite way and build a, a life based on what we didn't see in them. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so the the goal for you as a new dad is to is to uh raise children that will imitate everything you did and and not look at your life and go, "Man, I I can't do this cuz dad pops did it wrong." Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Really good. So, Father Fidelis, Father Figure, you said father figure is roughly from puberty until 22 years old, like early career 22 to 25, you know? Yeah. When the, yep. you know, we have kids staying at home more. So it's when your kids are under that, that when your children are under your household, they're under your leadership. And so that phase there. Okay. Got it. And then well, what happens at phase three? So phase three is the one I am in. It's called father friend. So here's the key okay. thing I learned. When my children were under my roof, they obeyed me. Why? Because I said so, right? Because (laughs) they have, they had, they, uh, they had to comply with my leadership because they were dependent upon, uh, our resources to survive. So, so I controlled the narrative as a parent. Mm. I controlled the narrative. I controlled the relationship. I controlled the narrative completely. I had power, physical, and fiscal power over my children, right? Hmm. When my children left the home, instantly, and this is where guys fail, instantly they control the narrative now. Right. So now the narrative flips, the script flips, right? So now the narrative is now on my children. So my children now get to choose whether or not they're going to have a relationship with dad. And I cannot tell you how many dads I run into who go, man, my kids won't talk to me anymore. I mean, this happens all the time. Hmm. My kids won't talk to me anymore. Oh, they, I raised them in the church. I raised them this way, but they won't talk to me anymore. I, and I go back and I go, they don't talk to you anymore because you blew it so bad in this phase, unfortunately, that they don't want to be around you anymore. And so hmm. my dad, uh, flipped the script. He, he changed the narrative in his own life. And so we've been very engaged with him all of our lives. So I've been very close to my dad all my life. My kids and I hunt together all the time, hang out together all the time, vacation all together all the time. And, and let me, let me, so here's what happens in this phase. You will reap the fruit of what you did in the father Fidelis and father figure phase, good mm. or bad. Galatians, what is six verses seven and eight? You know, you right. will reap what you've sown. And so this really is a sowing phase. And I'm really fortunate. 
I, I mean, I, I, I look back on my fathering, I go, man, I did a good job overall because I've got kids that are highly engaged with their dad and they want to be engaged with their dad. Dang, so that's cool. I'm really blessed by that. And so for a guy like you, I would say, okay, Cynthia and your audience, make sure that you guys are doing things in the father Fidelis phase and father figure phase so that when your kids now control the narrative, that's key. They control mm-hmm. the narrative. They control mm-hmm. the relationship. When they have that control, they still want to be engaged in your life. Hmm. Wow. Powerful. Uh, it's powerful. Yeah, really interesting. I like the distinction because it sounds like basically what you're saying is when your kids are under your roof, they're not your friend, right? No. You're not, oh, you're, no you're, you're, or you're not their friend, maybe to be more accurate. Exactly. But then once they're out because they control their own narrative and they have their own life, the, the nature of the relationship becomes more friend oriented. Can you, can you maybe elaborate on what, what does it mean for you to, to be a, a, the father friend to your kids? Yeah, that's really good. So when I, when my kids were in the house, I, I did not advise them. I c- commanded. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there were principles that they were required to live under, to live by under my roof. You know, we attended mm. church. We, we, you know, they did their chores. They did, had good grades. We made them uh, play extracurricular activities all through school to stay busy. We we commanded them to do things. Uh, we, basically, we said to live under this household. Here are the standards that are required of you to live under this household. And if you will not live under this household, then you need to go live somewhere else. Right. That's pretty much the narrative. Okay. Yeah. So, so I did not. I did, I commanded them as a parent, a, a father. And I know it's a hard word, but. It's a powerful word, but that's really what happens as a parent, right? You're, yeah. you're, you're controlling the narrative. When my kids became adults, I moved from a commander to a coach mm, or an advisor. Okay. So now yeah. what I'm in this friend role is I, you know, I don't boss my friends around. I don't command my <laughs> friends to do things. My adult children are the same way with my adult children. I go, Hey, do you think that was the wisest move? Or what do you think about this? Or they'll come to me. And a couple of my kids will, one, will really, they'd ask a lot of questions. One of them just likes to have a lot of dialogue, but they are always coming to me, you know, and, you know, my, I just did the wedding for my uh, oldest son and I did their premarital counseling. I go, are you sure you want me to do this? Yeah, dad. Yeah. Yes, we do. Wow. So they came to me and said, we, and we dove headlong into some issues that, <laughs> that you would, uh, it, that are in your expertise, let's just say. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so, so it's a real, an honor phase because you, 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 uh, are reaping this, this fruit, uh, now that your children are uh, 20 something, 30 something adults and they're coming to you for advice hmm. and you are coach, you no longer go to them for a command. They come to you for coaching. And so hmm. that's, that's really the difference. So you interact as father, son, father, daughter in a, 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 it's more of an even keel role where it's give and take. And then conversely, I've got a, my middle son is 26 years old. He owns two homes. He's, uh, starting another business. He's just very wow. entrepreneurial, very, very smart with numbers. And I'm not good with money. And okay. so I go to him regularly and I say, Hey son, I need your advice on money. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I do. Cool. I, I do that all the time. My other son is a phenomenal uh, salesman. Like he's a phenomenal, you know, and he's a phenomenal, he loves to celebrate. He just loves to like celebrate victories with people. And so hmm. I'll often go to him and I go, Hey man, I need some advice on this. Right. And so um, I just I do that with my kids all the time. And then what it does is it opens the door for them. Man, dad's asking us for help. Right. So, and then and, and we hunt together a lot. So now the cool. hunting thing is switched. So now instead of me telling them where we're going, what we're doing, I, I'm letting them control the narrative and I'm just coming along. 
That is really trying, cool. Yeah. And so I'm trying to teach them, hey, uh, my time is is diminishing and your time is inc- is increasing. So I'm going to willingly l- come under your mantle and yeah. then I'm going to help you along the way. Wow. That's really cool. We, it's funny you, you mentioned about the finances. We We got into a conversation about my parents' finances a few months ago. And they, they legitimately, like, they reached out to me afterwards because it, it was a little bit of an emotionally charged conversation. Um, but they reached afterwards and they were like, Hey, can we meet? Can, cause I was giving them some ideas and I, I don't, yeah. I think they saw that there was some wisdom here and I've done some things differently. And, um, I was really, my, my wife was like, my wife was like, your parents asked you for your, you know, like she was just so, so like perturbed by it. But it was, um, I, I think, I think you're right. If you, if you do that phase one and phase two, I, I can see that. I feel like I'm on, on the kid side of it. I'm experiencing that with my parents were like, yeah, yeah, they, there's a relationship there, you know, and it's, it's very much a give and take, which is, um, which is really cool. So two, two more questions about this phase before we get to phase four. Yeah. In, in phase one, you said, okay, the main thing is you show up. In phase two, it's like, hey, set forth the example. Your kids are kind of watching your every move. What's the what's the big key for guys to focus on in phase three with their kids? I would say um, in phase three, the key to focus on is spending is finding those moments to spend leisure time with your adult children with no strings attached. So you're enjoying each other. It's, it's really, uh, Mm. it's a season of enjoyment. You're trying, you just want to connect with them relationally because you like each other. Like I like my kids. I, I love my kids. I loved them growing up and I like them now. And so I think you train you, 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 because they control the narrative, they determine whether or not they like or like their dad or not. Right. We have this interaction now as friends so we do things together because we like to be together. Now okay. it's changed. The, the the caveat there is I'm getting older, so um, I can't keep up. You know, I got they all ran marathons last year. I got two of them training for ultra marathons. They're like oh, 100, 175 pound guys, you know, 180 pound <laughs> men. So I just can't keep up the way I used to keep up. So yeah. I realized that, and what's happened is they're like they've got their friends. They go they, when they go hard, they get the friends, but they're always coming back to dad saying, Hey dad, let's go do this thing. And they know it's a thing I can oh, wow. do with them. So, um, like my son's doing an elk hunt next week with, he's going hard with his buddies, but the week after that we're together, we're going to do three wow. days. Like, so, and we've scouted and we've done all that. So yeah, that, yeah. That's, I think that's the key in this, this phase is, you know, you're, you like, you like, uh, your sons or daughters, you interact with them as a, uh, more of an advisory role and they mm-hmm. control the narrative. They, they control it all. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know, you can't, you can't, because now they're the adults living their own lives. Wow. Cool. And when does this phase end? Like, it sounds like it's basically from when they move out and they're living on their own or they're gaining that independence. When does this phase end and when does phase four begin? Yeah. So t- I think, in my opinion, there's a transition, obviously, in all these phases. But yeah. the transition is when, when my children start having children. That's okay. The, that's the line of demarcation. When my kids start having kids. So when I move from father Fidelis to father friend to father faithful, when my kids start to move into this next, start to have their own families, right? So now they're, now they become father Fidelis, right? They're in this yes. father Fidelis phase. So now I, phase four is what I call father forever. This is where I am enjoying legacy. I begin to pour into, again, my children control the narrative. If my children let me, I pour into my grandchildren. 
which yeah, I have one grandchild right now, so it's been super, super hey, fun. Hey, congrats, man. I didn't know that. Yeah, That's cool. Yeah, so it's super fun. And so um, this and this is where we enjoy legacy. So like, for example, your dad, who was in ministry all of his life or whatever. Yep. So this phase, he's going to look at you. And if you raise your children in the way that they should go, Proverbs 22, you know, or Joshua 24, 15, you know, as for me and my household, if he sees that happening, that is a legacy phase for him. That is a forever thing for him because now he begins, he begins to see his children grow up into this eternal covenant, you know, and, and it's really interesting because, you know, that we see in John 10, you know, the enemy comes to kill, steal and destroy. And mm-hmm. we see the ancient Kings when they would take over, oftentimes they would go into the previous King King's uh, home and kill all of his children and grandchildren, wipe out his bloodline. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's really right. the plan of the enemy. Right. So, Knowing that plan, when we see that plan thwarted and we see uh, this eternal plan manifest, that's a that's a tremendous blessing, and we get to reap again reaping the. There's a lot of reaping in those last two phases, positively yeah. and negative. Yeah, yeah. And is there a focus here? It sounds like it. It sounds like there's a lot more. Um, like it's not as rigid at this phase. Like it can look a lot of different ways. But is there something that that fathers can focus on in this season to make the most of it? You know, it's really interesting because when you look at these phases, when you, you know, I I envision a stress bubble. So when a man, if you look at a timeline of a man's life, he's cruising along in a household under the leadership of somebody else, under the responsibility, pressure and stress of of his father. And then when he leaves and starts a family like you, you know, getting married is not a huge stressor. It's just you and your wife. But once you have your children, you enter this thing called the stress bubble, right? And so for the next 20, 25 years, you're in this bubble. You're a father fidelis, your father faithful. And on the other end of that bubble, when your kids leave the house, you enter father friend phase, highly enjoyable. Uh, it's your, it's your advisory. You're, uh, you're a friend. You are uh, no longer in charge of the narrative. Uh, and then when you get in the grandparent phase, it even drops off even more where you're reaping. And so for us, what we have learned in that father forever phase, we go out of our way to find those special moments to enjoy that phase with the grandchildren. So now it no longer becomes focusing on our children. We focus on their children, right? We're focusing on the legacy phase. So the focus becomes now my children are already my friends. That's already been established for the last 10, 15 years. Now I'm focusing on establishing uh, an eternal um, covenant, eternal legacy with my grandchildren. So that's the phase right. where you always see your parents going, it's so great. I just feed them a bunch of chocolate and send them on their way. <laughs> so it is, you know, it is a, a lot more relaxed. And and really, if you look at men through life, they charge, 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 buying the bigger, 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 bigger house, more, more, more toys. Sure. And what happens is they end up with the same little dinky house they started in. <laughs> yeah, so there's right. this, there's this, there's this arc and it just is the way it is. I mean, Solomon talked about it. There's just this arc. And so on this phase, it's, you know, we're, we're offloading our stuff. We're, we're, you know, you know, uh, paying money. You see a lot of grandparents paying a lot of money to get the whole family together, do a vacation. Yeah. You you see a lot of this in this phase because men are realizing I'm, I'm, I need to invest in what's going to happen after me now. Mm. And that phase, that phase is really the majority. This is the scary part, Sophia. This is really the majority of a man's life, right? So a man will go, a man will go 20, 20, 20 years. Yeah. Or to, let's say 25 years, 25 years. He gets married. He's now in the stress bubble. So he's a father fidelis for 10 years. So he's, 
from 25 to 35 is Father Fidelis. From 35 to f- 55, he's Father um, Father uh, friend, figure or a Father figure. Yeah. From 55 to you know 60, let's say 65, he's Father friend, and then from 65 to 85, he's Father forever. So he spends yeah. the majority of his time as a adult man in that phase. Huh. So so everything we do in those first three phases compounds over time to create this other thing. Man, I love that. That's the heavy part, right? It's it's a it has a compounding effect. Yeah. Yeah, we we had a woman on here named Shannon Etheridge and she had this great face. I don't think she actually said this on the podcast. I think this was afterwards, but she said with kids, especially when you're in that stress bubble, um the days are long but the years are short. Yes. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's kind of the opposite once they're out by the by the sounds of it, right? Like then then yes. the days are the days are short, the years are long. Like you got you got time on your side, but it, it takes time before you kind of get there. Yeah, and it's really it's there's a it there's a deep it's deeply profound if you think about it. Yeah. And you know, we don't think about it when we're how old are you, man? Are you thirty two or something like that? Thirty yeah, thirty three. Thirty three. So you're thirty three. You don't think about like life at sixty three. But laying out this phases of fatherhood, I've kind of done that so that men go, you know, I need to think about what I'm doing now. Like if I come home and sit on the couch from five to eight, like, right. So I'm working hard, working hard, working hard. And I come home and I grab a beer, I sit on the couch. So from five to eight, five days a week, let's say, I just sit on the couch and I watch Netflix and I watch sports and I chill. I just hang out and do nothing. Right. So what they don't realize is what's going to be written on our tombstone is going to be written based on what happened in those three hours. Yeah, it's not going to be written based on what they did at work. So men have right. to realize that everything they know about fatherhood, everything they're going to be remembered for by their children is going to happen before school and after school. Yeah. <laughs> in, 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 a, in a very short window, right? Because, yeah. You know, so it's really interesting. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's been very profound. Yeah. Oh, this, no, this is really, really helpful. Um, how are you doing for time? I have one more question, but I, if, if you got to go, good. I'll, I'll I'm wrap good. it. No, I'm, yeah? I'm totally good. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, well, how, how old are your kids, Jim? You mentioned, you have, how many, how many kids do you have and how old are they? Three sons and they're 29 and 27 okay. and 25. Okay. Got it. And you mentioned one of them has a, a kid already. So yeah, yes, he had a, yes, he actually, so, so this is really interesting. This goes on to our conversation. So that he's my oldest son. He's my namesake. So he's the fourth in the line of Jim Ramos's. Wow. He goes by James. When he would, when he left for school, college, he said, "Well, Dad, I did it your way for the all all my life. Now I'm going to go and live for my way okay. for the next four years." So he did, man. He he started a fraternity. It got shut down because of underage drinking. Uh, he just he just lived the life, and in that period of time. He had a, a, a one night deal and he produced a granddaughter, a, okay. a child that he didn't know existed until she was a year old. Wow. He didn't even know she was a, existed. And so, so he uh, decided to, you know, at that point he, he stepped up, he became a, you know, said, I'm going to do this thing. We said, we're going to help you. We, we want to be engaged. So yeah. he's been, he's been raising this little girl. He has her, you know, two weekends a month. Uh, he's just, a, he's a great dad. Wow. Uh, he he just married a woman who who also was aban- who was abandoned by her biological dad. So she's passionate about this, and so mm. we've got this little granddaughter, and we've got a whole room in our house that's just for her. We call it the unicorn room. I mean, yeah. we're just all about her. I mean, I call my wife the queen. I call her the princess. 
And man, she just milks that for all it's worth. Papa, what about the princess? Well, you said you would do anything for the princess. And so, so yeah, so, so the, the, the moral awesome. of the story here is life is not perfect. Yeah. Life gets messy, right? Yeah. It gets messy. People make decisions that can be messy. Yeah. We still have to work. We still are going through those phases. So now yes. what happens? So what, what my wife and I have done in this phase with this little one, she's now seven we've got, she's just a completely different human than we met her. And I yeah. think my son stepped up, his wife stepped up and oh, everybody yeah. around this little girl stepped up. I mean, we're going to Disneyland man in February and we're taking my wife, me, my son, his wife, his daughter, and then my daughter-in-law's parents are going. It's like this big thing, oh, just wow. this one, one little seven-year-old. <laughs> and so that's, wow. you know, so you, so that's, yeah. So that's where we are with the, and then I've got, uh, I, I think we're gonna have a. I think in the next year we're gonna have right two more grandkids come into the picture. I have a feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. having a feeling. <laughs> you know what I mean? so. so that's cool. That's cool. And the the reason I asked, I I didn't know that about um about the story, but that actually ties in exactly to the question I want to ask you, which is that. So that means that you found out about that little girl six years ago. That was your oldest, and then you would have had two sons who were like late teens, maybe one, maybe yes. the middle ones, early twenties. So my my question is. How do you navigate being in different phases with different kids based on, you know, where they are in development? We, we just, um, we, we're house hacking right now. So that means we live upstairs and then we have a, a unit downstairs that's rented out. And a brother and sister just moved into our unit. They're two of 10. There, there's 10 of them all together. Family of 12. And, um, so th- that would be like a really great extreme example where those parents at any given time in this stress bubble, would have had kids in multiple phases. And uh, another common piece of advice that I've heard from fathers is you have to treat every kid differently, right? Like no two kids are the same. Yes. Um, it makes sense to me conceptually, but it sounds really challenging in moment to moment. You're dealing with one kid and you have to be a certain way. And then the next second you have another kid and it's almost like a different hat on. How, any words of wisdom for, for fathers who, for whatever reason, whether their kids are just spread apart a bit, um, or they had 10 kids and, you know, they, they happen to have a bunch of different phases. How do you wear all the different hats and kind of go in and out of these different phases of fatherhood with many kids? Man, that's a tough one. I will, I will go back to Proverbs 22, six. It says, train up a child in the way that they shall go. And when they're old, they, they will not depart from it. Well, if you look at the literal, Hebrew of that, it, it literally means train up a child in the, according to their bent. And mm. when they're older, they will not depart. So what wow. we did as parents is, and again, we weren't perfect parents, but we have had a script, right? We're going to raise our kids this way. So we start off with a baseline script. We're going to do this. And then we, we learn through the failure of each children how to adjust according to their bent. Like yeah. we have, we're a family of five and four of us are extroverts and we have a, a real bold and obnoxious uh, type of personality. And my middle son is, <laughs> my middle son is not only in the middle, but he's the only introvert. So for okay. him, he just hated conflict. And to this day, he just hates conflict. He'll just go, Hey dad, if there's conflict, we'll see you next Easter. We're not going to be around for Christmas type of thing. I mean, it's like, wow. You know, okay. Got will it. Not be, he will not engage in conflict. So we realized with that one, if, if it's, it's got to be an even keel conversation. Period. Yeah, yeah. With my oldest son, he's a talker. He just wants to engage. So he and I will just engage instantly in whatever we want to talk about. My youngest son will is an extrovert, but he's a he's a he holds his cards tight. So the way to pull him out is to just go hang out with him and mm. never ask him a question. 
I just mm. hang out with him. <laughs> and in the midst of hanging out, he just dumps on me. But you can't ask him questions. He doesn't respond to questions. Yeah. Right? You know, yeah. Where, the, where one son responds to questions, one son responds to calm. This one responds to time. So mm. you just begin to learn. And I've had wow. all my kids take a love languages test. I've had all my kids take a, this personality assessment. And so cool. I, I can understand how my kids think and function. Yeah. Within the, within the, within their own life and how they, and my daughter-in-law, I've done that with the daughters-in-law too. So yeah. I, I know how to interact with them. Right. And so, yeah, so it's been a, and it's, it's a, it's definitely a journey. And yeah. I think as they move into the phases, like at one point I had two kids in the home and one kid in college. And so we just kept doing the same with those two in the home. Right. Yeah. And then I, then all of a sudden I had only one in the home, you know, and then all of our kids, when they graduated college, we said, you can come back and live with us and save money until you go out. Yep. So when they came back into the home, we said, okay, you're, you're an adult, but you are under our banner of leadership now. So you will comply with these certain rules still as yes. under our home that we, yep. and the, but we loosened them, but we said, these are our rules. And you will live as, and they said, okay. And we said, Hey, you're going to stay. So my oldest son, we said, you pay us rent. So he paid us rent every month and I saved it and gave it to him, which is good because he had no money saved. My other son, who's a money guy, we didn't ask him to give us rent. We just said, Hey, we want, we expect you to put money away. And he did. He banked and bought a house. <laughs> so, right, so wow. we try to watch how they interact with life. Oh, wow. So interesting. Coach them according to their bent. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This was, yeah. this is amazing. I, dude, I literally took notes the whole time. This is so good. Uh, thank you. I, I've kept you over time here, but for people who want more of Jim Ramos, men in the arena, uh, tell the audience, where can they find out more about you, man? Yeah. I appreciate that, man. And you're a great interviewer. It's so fun to be a part of this. So oh, they thanks. just go to men in the arena.org and they can find everything they need. We're on all social media outlets. Uh, and it's either at men in the arena dot, you know, at men in the arena or the, at the men in the arena. Fantastic. Get a hold of me as menandarena.org. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We'll put links in the show notes to everything. Uh, yeah. This guy's blowing up on social, guys. So go check him out. <laughs> and you guys have a great A podcast as well. Some fantastic guests coming through there. Um, so we'll, we'll link all of that. In the meantime, man, God bless you. And thanks for your time today. You, you too, brother. Have a great day. Well, there you have it. That is my interview with Jim. Hey, go check his stuff out. Uh, Men in the Arena. They're doing some really, really good things over there. And Jim is a, a resource monster. Uh, he's very active on social. Um, he's constantly launching books and releasing other content. And I know that you'll glean a lot from him. And uh, look, if you are listening to this and you're realizing that uh, maybe you know maybe you want to be a dad one day, but porn is still in your life and you don't want to pass that on, or maybe you have kids already and you're realizing that um, pornography is a problem. It's it's affecting the way that you parent, but it also now has the potential to affect your kids. Now is the time for you to get free, my friend. Things only get worse. They only spiral downwards. They don't get better without an intervention. And I would love for you to consider Deep Clean, my program for helping men make a full recovery in 120 days or less by tackling the root issues. So we're not believers in internet filters and accountability partners. Those are great. They work for some people. We're a lot more about getting to the roots because that's the most confident way that we can get you to lasting freedom. So if it's something you want to explore, there's a link in the show notes. You can book a call with my team. We'd love to speak with you. Uh, we speak with people all around the world every single day. And it is one of the greatest delights that I've ever had in the world, helping guys like you experience freedom in their lives, get their marriages back on track, get their careers up and running, um, stepping more into the things that God's called you to do. That's what this is really about. We just need to you know, remove porn while it's in the way. And 
Deep Clean can help you do that. So the link is in the show notes there. Just click to book a call with my team. Someone will speak with you. They'll understand your situation and we can talk about whether or not Deep Clean is the right fit. In the meantime, make sure you share this interview with somebody that you think would benefit from it. Spread the word. That's how we grow here and that's how you can change another person's life. In the meantime, love you guys so much. Thank you for listening. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.